Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of his Father, turned to the Father and prayed for you. Today in heaven, the Lord Jesus brought your name personally to his Father. He knows each one of his children by name. He cares for us immensely, more than we can ever understand. And he intercedes for us, we are told, on a regular basis. The Bible tells us that Jesus intercedes for us and prays for us. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? Isn't it wonderful to think about the fact that the Savior who bought us and paid for us cares for us and has not forgotten us and turns his attention to the Father on a regular basis and says, now don't forget Andy, don't forget Todd, don't forget Susan, don't forget Rachel, don't forget the members at Bible Fellowship. He turns to the Father and he says, I have something to pray for them. I have something I want you to do for them. Here in the passage that we have before us, Jesus is going to make three requests of his Father for us. And wouldn't you love it if Jesus could make three requests for you? Well, he will, and we're going to find out today what he prays for you. Now, I have to give you a warning right up front. He's probably not asking the Lord to give you that red Cadillac that you really wanted. Pretty sure he's not asking for that. Pretty sure he's not asking for that luxury vacation in the Bahamas that you were kind of looking forward to. That's probably not on his list. And, uh, you know, that promotion that you wanted at work, you know, where you become the big boss and you get to, you get to be the boss and everybody gets to... Not, that's probably not on his list either. Pretty sure that those are not the things that occupy him for us. But let me tell you something. He knows how to ask for us better things than we could ever ask for ourselves And here in this passage, he asks for us that we will be in union with him, essential union with him, irrevocably forever. And he asks for us here that we will have Christ-like character developed in us so that we begin to look and smell like him as we walk about on planet earth. And then he asks, Father, when the whole thing is done, I want you to bring them home to be with me. These are the three things that God himself in Jesus Christ asks for us. And we'll see that as we explore these verses together today. So let's begin in verse 20 and just follow him through to see what it is that he prays. He says, first of all, I do not ask for these only. Who are the these only? Well, the these were the eleven. You remember that last week we talked about the fact that Jesus was praying for his eleven disciples, the eleven that are left. Judas has already gone out to betray him. There are 11 of these guys left in the room, and Jesus prayed for them in their hearing. And we made application to our own lives from that. So Jesus says, it's not just for the 11 that I'm praying. It's not for some special super class of Christians. I'm going to turn my attention and pray for everybody. Isn't it marvelous to know that at the foot of the cross, everyone who's been washed in the blood of Jesus is on level ground? There are no important people in the body of Christ, and there are no unimportant people in the body of Christ. Jesus Christ himself loves each one of us, no matter what duty we have been assigned to do. Whether we get the privilege of standing in front of people and speaking, or whether we have to take ourselves to drive a school bus every day, or go to the factory every day, or or chase kids around every day, every single believer in Jesus Christ is equal at the foot of the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ turns his attention to each one and prays for each one of us individually. He says, I'm not just praying for the 11, 
but I'm also going to pray for those who will believe in me through their word. You see, Jesus had been spending three and a half years to persuade his disciples that he was indeed sent from God, that he was the Son of God. And he's finished the project. These men have come to understand who Jesus is. They don't understand what he's going to do tomorrow at the cross. That's a mystery to them. They think he's probably going to somehow overthrow the the Roman government. They're not looking for what he's going to do. But they have at least come this far. They have come to the settled opinion and the settled belief that Jesus Christ was sent by his Father from heaven and that he has come to be the Messiah, that he is the one who was the one that God had promised to send. This much about him they know. And for three and a half years, Jesus has been investing in their lives, showing them little by little every day who he was. And now, Jesus says, now that you've gotten the program, now that you've got the picture, I'm going to send these people out into the world, and their message about who I am is going to run from one end of planet Earth to the other. Isn't it fabulous that the message of the gospel is going to go to every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation? Isn't it wonderful that the gospel message is going to go everywhere? We're going to have the privilege of going to Mexico. And I got to tell you something. Most, with the 27 of us going, as far as I know, my wife and I are the only two who speak Spanish. Okay, as far as I know. But you know what? We're going to be ministering alongside of people who speak Spanish and who work with the Mexican people every day. And we're going to be helping them in ways that magnify their ministry and that make them look big in the eyes of the Mexican people. Why do we do that? We do that because Jesus Christ is Lord in Mexico as well as in the United States. Jesus Christ is Lord of every place on the earth. And he's bringing people to himself from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation. And he does it, and he does it in one way and one way only. Jesus has just got one weapon in the arsenal, but it's a great weapon. And the weapon he's got is simply this. It's the Word of God delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit that takes men from darkness and brings them into life. And it works in every country, and it works in any spot on the earth. doesn't matter how dark it is doesn't matter how cultured it might be, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word that he has given to us through these 11 apostles, he has sent the news about who he is every place in the world. And when that message gets delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit, something wonderful can happen. Something wonderful can happen. Men and women can go from darkness into light. They can go from death into life. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, miracles happen. Miracles happen because this is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. And he sent this wonderful word through these men. He said, there are going to be people all over the world who are going to come to believe in me through this message that I'm sending from the, for them. And now I've got something, Father, that I want you to do for them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make them all one so that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says, here's my request for these ones who are going to put their faith in me through the witness and testimony of these disciples. 
I want you to make them all one. Now, there, what does that mean? I mean, where is that going? Well, one of the ways that we can make a mistake on this is to think that what he's talking about is an organic oneness. Sometimes you'll hear this passage preached, and what will be preached out of this passage will be, well, you know, really what, we, what he's talking about is the necessity of reuniting the body of Christ. That if the Bible fellowship people will just stop calling themselves Bible fellowship, and if the Methodist people will just stop being Methodists, and if we can get the, uh, the Anglicans and the Episcopalians to drop their labels and we all get together, uh, wonderful happiness will happen on planet Earth. And so what we're really talking about here is putting together organic union. And let me just tell you that that is not at all what he's talking about. That isn't it. Have you ever noticed that in the human body, <laughs> by the way, have I shared with you the grand truth that you can live without a gallbladder? But your gallbladder cannot live without you. Did you know that? Did you know that? There are, there are parts and pieces in any body, right? I mean, uh, how many of you in here have got a liver today? Don't raise your hand. I know you've got a liver. All right, you've got a liver. Listen, you're not going anywhere without that liver, right? But it's a distinct part that has to per- perform its function in your body in order for your body to do what it does. And the body of Christ, the the church, is exactly the same way. There are different organs in the body. And we put different labels on the organs. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because when we all confess the same Lord and work to the same end, we are united in some way. So he's not talking about wiping out uh, organizational differences between different parts of the body. Uh, Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ has got his people just about everywhere. He really does. And, uh, it, you know, there are, uh, we don't have to go any farther than that. Jesus Christ has got his people everywhere, and he's put his people wherever they are for a particular reason to do a per- certain thing in the body of Christ, certain thing in the body of Christ. We should leave that alone and let it happen. It's okay. We don't have to fight with each other. So he's not talking about creating some kind of o- organizational union. He's talking about something different than that. Look what he actually says. He says, I want them that they may all be one, verse 21, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us. He isn't talking about an organizational union between different uh, aspects of the body of Christ. What he's talking about here is an essential spiritual union. He's talking about the fact that we're all knit together spiritually is what he's talking about. And if I can put it to you this way, he does that wonderfully at the moment of your salvation. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on the moment you get saved. God, first of all, as we've already talked about in this series, God was working in your heart a long time before you even knew that he was after you, right? He was doing certain things. He was drawing you to to himself. He was preparing your heart so it would be good ground. So that when somebody finally showed up with the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and spoke it in your hearing, something happened on the inside of you. God made life. He generated life on the inside of you. And at the moment He did that, He sealed what He had done with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what He said was, His very Spirit came to live inside of you all in an instant the essence of the essential Spirit of God is in each believer in Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that an awesome thing to think about? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's awesome that God would come to live in people like you and me. I mean, it's tremendous when you think about it. And he has put us together in a union with himself by, through our belief in Jesus Christ, and he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit so that the union that we have with him is absolutely inviolable, cannot be broken. God has put his Spirit inside of us, and God's Spirit is going to finish the work that he has decided to do in each and every one of us. Are you glad that God has sealed us with his Holy Spirit? This is the essential union that he's talking about. Now, you say, well, that's very nice, but so what? Oh, I'm glad you asked the so what. You always have to have a so what, right? Well, he gives us the so what. He says, they're going to believe through this word. I want them to be in this essential union with you and I together. They're not God, but they're sealed with us by the Holy Spirit's presence in them. And the reason I want you to do that is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in the inside coming through the life of the believer that gives testimony to the fact that what we're preaching here today isn't just some story that somebody made up 2,000 years ago. Believe me, and you know this. I don't have to convince you of this. You have, you have experienced this. Have you ever come into the presence of somebody that was just attractive? You know what I mean? I'm not talking about physically attractive. There's just something about them that drew you to them. You wanted to hang around with them. You wanted to listen to them. And only to discover when you started talking to them that they were believers too. Isn't that a fabulous thing? It happens to you. It happened to me and my wife. We used to, you know... In our checkered past, in our, in our checkered past, we were missionaries, and we had to raise money. Missionaries have to raise money. And what that means is you have to go from church to church asking people to help you uh, do that. And so we got into churches that uh, we had never seen before and have not seen since. I mean, <laughs> there, were, there was a lot of knocking on doors and a lot of phone calls and a lot of doing the, the hard work that you have to do in order to convince people to let you come for a meeting so you can speak, and maybe they'll help you, maybe they won't. But this happened to us time after time after time. We would get into these little churches, and, uh, you know, I, I particularly associate this with churches in North Carolina for some reason. But we would go into these churches that we had never been to before, and I kid you not, we would walk in there, and I, and I felt like I knew the people we were talking to like I had known them all my life. I mean, there was a sense of union with those people that was, I, I look at them and they would even look physically familiar. You know, you have that thing where you start thinking, where do I know you from? Well, I don't know anybody in Waxhaw, North Carolina. I've never been there before. Except I walk into this church and there was this aroma of family. You know what I mean? Paul talks about this. He talks about the fact that when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, there is a fragrance that comes from people who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's not something you can smell with your nose. It's a spiritual sense of family. It is the spiritual sense of being at home with people and wanting to be around them. And Jesus says, now I want you to seal them with the Holy Spirit. I want them to know that your spirit is in them so that there will be this fragrance about them that tells people 
that what they are proclaiming and what they put their faith in isn't just some mythological thing that somebody did 2,000 years ago to make a nice living and that it somehow turned into a, 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 a religious movement. Jesus says, no, no. I want them to be able to know when they're in their presence that God has come to live among humanity. The Apostle Paul talks about this over in 1 Corinthians where he says, people come into your church and they may be unbelievers or they may be untaught people. But then when everyone speaks the Word of God with power to them, they fall on their face and they say, surely God is among you. This is what the Lord Jesus is talking about. There is this spiritual sense that comes to us and fragrance that comes from us when the Holy Spirit of God has come to live in us. This is important for us to say in our day because for about the last hundred years, we've almost given up on telling people that they can personally know that the Holy Spirit of God lives in them. About a hundred years ago, there were some things that were going on that threatened Christianity, and so a doctrine began to be teached taught, excuse me, teached, how's that? Turn to your neighbor and say, oh yeah. (laughs) Began to be taught that said, yeah, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens to you, but it's not something that you'll ever know about. It's just this quiet thing that happens, and it's, you don't have to worry about that. Just go about your Christian life and and live that. And uh, we need to say to our shame that our ancestors, uh, to to our shame that we have believed that, because our ancestors knew better than that. The people who we admire that we look back to previous to that period, men like D.L. Moody and F.B. Meyer, uh, uh, A.J. Gordon, uh, these guys that were really giants of the faith, and some even a little farther along, like Campbell Morgan, uh, 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 Lloyd-Jones. These people knew very well that the presence of the Holy Spirit was a sensible thing that you could know about personally inside of you, and that it made a tremendous difference in the life of the believer. And unfortunately, because we've been raised in an environment that tells us that, which is a theological mistake, we now fill churches week after week with people who are here saved, but having only a form of religion, but denying the power that comes from the Holy Spirit's personal fullness in our lives. And what that means is we become almost totally ineffective at reaching our uh, uh, culture for Jesus Christ. Did you know? Survey after survey shows that the average believer in Jesus Christ does not share the gospel of Jesus Christ even one time in any given year. One of the things we need to understand is that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the telltale mark that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit is our refusal to shut up about who Jesus is. If you want to know what the sign is that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, would you like to know what the sign is? It's probably not the sign you got in your mind. Because maybe you think you've got to speak in tongues. You don't have to do that. Maybe you think you, there's got to be some extraordinary phenomenon. You don't. Do you know what the sign is that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit? You won't stop talking about Jesus. That's what the sign is. That's how you know who's filled with the Spirit. And Jesus prays for us. Do you know what Jesus' prayer is for you every day? that you would be filled with the Spirit, that you'll be in this essential union with Him and the Father so that whether you're at work or whether you're at play, the aroma of Jesus is exuding from your life. This is what God wants for us. This is what He prays for for us. Jesus says, Father, fill them. I hope 
that you're asking the Lord every day to make Himself real to you by letting you know that His Spirit is inside of you. It's a wonderful thing. By the way, you don't have to be afraid of it. He's not going to make you do anything strange or weird. We're afraid of being weird, aren't we? Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want to be weird. You don't want to be weird. I get it. The good news is you don't have to be weird. You don't have to be. The fullness of the Spirit isn't weird. It's wonderful. He's wonderful when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And, and what He will do, what He will do is give you His joy and He'll give you the exuberance of being able to share the fact that Jesus Christ really has come from the Father. Let's go a little farther. Jesus says something else. In verse 22, He begins to talk about a different thing. If He's praying and asking for us to be in union with the Father, in verses 20 and 21, in 22 He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. There's that phrase again, that the world may know. Only now he's talking about something different. He isn't talking about just union. He says there's something different. I'm giving them my glory. Now, if you were with us for the first week of this uh, sermon series, you know that we talked about the fact that Jesus shared two kinds of glory with His Father. The first kind of glory is the glory of character. In His earthly ministry, Jesus Christ displayed the glory of God's character on planet Earth. Jesus went from town and village preaching and teaching and uh, healing people and doing good works, we are told, so that people could see the character of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, To this day, the only way to see the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Nature will tell us that God is there, but the only way to see that God loves us and cares for us is to see what He did for us in Jesus Christ. That's That's the way you see it. And so Jesus is praying for them. The second kind of glory that we talked about that Jesus shared with His Father was the glory when He went back to heaven that was the glory of His presence where He had that Shekinah glory again that the Old Testament talked to us about. So Jesus is saying to us here that what He's praying for for us is simply this, that we would share that first kind of glory, that we would become the kind of people who share the glory of God's character in the way we live our lives. Can I use a word that's going to frighten you to death? <gasps> Holiness. Holiness. And, we, we, uh, you know, mm, ooh, we kind of cringe when somebody uses that word, don't we? Say amen. Amen. We do. Why do we do that? Because we associate holiness with people who've got a sour look on their face, right? We associate holiness with people who are always criticizing other people. We associate holiness with people who are like, you did that? You can't do that, don't you? Who are you? That's what we associate. Now, relax. That isn't what it means. It isn't what it means. What it actually means is simply this, that we're people who live by the book. That's all it means. It just means that we're the kind of people who are characterized by this. We actually believe what the book says and we actually put it into practice. 
And that doesn't have to have a frown on it at all. That can have a smiling face on it, right? And it needs to have a smiling face on it. When we become the kind of people who are actually living out the character of Jesus Christ, we become winsome. We're not people who... We don't become people that people want to run away from. We become people that people want to draw near to. How many times could I use people in one sentence? That was pretty good, wasn't it? Do you want me to do it again? I can't. It won't happen. But look, here's the deal. The character of Jesus Christ is incredibly attractive. It's incredibly attractive. Did you, you know, anywhere Jesus went, thousands of people showed up. Did you notice that? In the book of Mark, we're told that there were days when he didn't even get a chance to eat. People just said, hey, have you seen this guy? This guy's different. We want to we get near this guy. Let's get near this guy. Jesus' character is absolutely, beautifully attractive to hearts that are not closed off to him. Now, there are some people that have gotten themselves into such difficulty, uh, pushing truth down for so long that their hearts are completely sealed, and when they come into the presence of Jesus, they, they either run in the other direction or they pick up rocks to try to kill him. That's the reaction that happens when you've suppressed truth for so long. But the vast majority of people, the vast majority of people that we come in contact with every day are not in that condition. They've not yet come to that condition. And when Jesus Christ comes into the room, there is this fragrance of his spirit. But also when we are living that character out and Jesus comes into the room with us, there can be an attraction to Jesus Christ that comes along. We are designed to understand that character matters. Character matters. And for us to learn to live lives that reflect the the character of Jesus Christ is at the very heart of what Jesus wants to do in us. He prays for us that we would develop His character in us. We need to hear this word today. We need to hear this word today, that character matters, that character counts. You know, a few years ago, it was the church that stood up and said, character matters. It isn't whether you can get stuff done or not. It's whether you've got character or not that counts. Today, I'm afraid that many people in the body of Christ have concluded that character doesn't count And you'll just be a good leader if you can get the stuff done that we want you to do. And if that's who we have become, then I don't know who we really are. Because that is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. Do not fool yourself. Because when Christianity is alive and vital, the character of Jesus comes out through the lives of believers. And not only does the character of Jesus come out through our lives, but we say to the society around us, Character really does matter. Let us show you how to have a real character. Let us show you what it's like when real character presents itself in front of you. We need to be the people in our society who not only exhibit character, but who stand up for character in the people who lead us. And if we're not going to do that, then I wonder who we really are. We have to question whether we really come into the reality of what we've been talking about at all. Now the next thing that Jesus... There's a solemn moment for you, isn't it? I don't care. 
it's time for us to speak boldly about the fact that certain things really do matter. Amen? Amen. All right, let me give you the, the, the third point and then we're done. How about that? You ready for that? Okay, here's the third point. Jesus says one more thing. Now, if he says union is uh, essential union with me is, is something that I want for them and character I want for them, if that's the cake, if that is the yellow cake, here comes the chocolate icing. Are you ready for the chocolate icing? Here comes the chocolate icing. This is the good stuff. Look what he says. Father, verse 24. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You want to know what Jesus' last request for you is? He wants you to be in union with him. He wants you to be, uh, have his character. And when it's all over with, when everything is said and done, when the last page has been turned on the story of your life and the curtain comes down, he says, now, Father, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring them home to live with us. I want them to know in your presence and in my presence that they have been loved, that they are loved. What a fabulous way to top it off, right? After everything is done on planet Earth, after all the shouting's done and after all the stumping around is done and the work is done and everything that you've got to do on planet Earth to be received home into God's presence. That's a party. You know, I've told you before, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Is it anybody else, your favorite holiday is Thanksgiving? Christmas, not so much. You know, Christmas, it is what it is. Thanksgiving is wonderful. Let me tell you what I like about Thanksgiving. My favorite, me- there you go, there's a Thanksgiving guy. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving because I associate that with going home to my mom and dad's house. And, um, and, it, and it's fabulous, right? Because everybody I know and love in the world, seems like, is there. Uh, my, my brothers and sisters are there. My kids will be there. My grandkids will be there. Uh, we, the last time, we, we got together the last time. We get together, and it's a massive group of people, and we make more noise than you ought to be allowed to make. And the last time we were together, uh, we were all in one room together, and we're making so much noise. The men were making so much noise that the women left the room and went to another room. And after about 10 minutes, we woke up to the fact that there weren't any women there, so we followed them into the other room and ruined the whole thing. It was wonderful. We laugh, we hoot, we eat together. It is, it, you know, what is heaven? Heaven is Thanksgiving dinner at mom and dad's house. I mean, that, that, that's it for me. Let me tell you something. There's Thanksgiving dinner at the father's house when the whole story on planet Earth is over. When everything gets wrapped up for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, you're invited to the banquet. You're invited to come to a table that's well prepared and all the ones you love are sitting around the table. And the one who paid for your sins is sitting at the head of the table. And you're invited to come and laugh and you're invited to come and have a wonderful eternity together because Jesus Christ says, Father, that's the way to finish it off. That's the way to finish it off. 
Bring them home. Bring them home to your house. Let's have a party together. This is what Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for you and I. What does He pray? That we will be inseparably one spiritually with Him and His Father. That we will reflect His character on planet earth. Jesus prays for us that we will be with Him forever in glory. Jesus prays for us. Are you glad that Jesus prays for you? I'm glad Jesus prays for me. Let's give Him thanks in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank You for loving us so much that You bring us before the Father every day. We are represented before the Father by You. Jesus, we see Your glory and we see the Father's glory in Your face. And it astounds us that You would even bother with people like us. And yet You do. You care about us. You pray for us. You've given us every gift that we need. And one day we'll be with You forever. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for caring about us. Help us to be people who are filled with Your Spirit. Help us to be people who are filled with Your character. Help us to be people who are always looking up, waiting for the upward call, for the time to come to the banquet table. We'll thank You for it. Father in Heaven, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. We have come in His matchless name. Amen. Amen. That's it. Thanks for coming.